This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Stevens, New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And Taylor, in our last episode, we didn't really have any chit-chat. We just kind of got right to it, so I did not get the chance to tell you what my reaction was several weeks ago when Julie dropped a package on my desk from Taylor Stevens. I'm like, oh, oh, that must be the vessel. And I cracked it open and looked at it. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. You did a great job with that. And I have to say, it, it, that particular day, that week, there was just like one icky thing after another happening. And when that book showed up, it just made me so happy. I was so happy for you, and I was happy for me that I had it, and I was able to place it where it belonged, in between all the other hardcover versions of the books that I have for you, and it was really cool to do that. I am really geeked about it. I It, it would not, absolutely would not have been possible without Carl, Carl Berry, who did all the interior layout and helped me navigate a bunch of other stuff and sorting it out and just was a sounding board. And he was so patient with me because I'm so picky about, you know, line spacing and font. And it was quite overwhelming at times. And he just, he just worked with me through it and and handled it all. And it was really, really, I was just so grateful for his help. So he gets so much credit. You get credit for convincing me that it would not have been as big a deal to do it, you know, get it all published and stuff and kind of showed me, directed me on how to make that happen and um and helped me find the graphic designer to to help with the cover and stuff and um i i had told everybody hey i i ordered sample copies but what i did not tell everybody was that i had enough faith in carl and the graphic designer and in the work that they did that when i ordered the sample copies it was more than just one or two (laughs) (laughs) And so um, because financing this whole project and and making it possible for me to have the time to do it and everything, that all was a result of the patrons, uh, Mm -hmm. patronage. And so I wanted to make sure that um, those who were the pledging at a certain level or above were able to get copies like before everybody even knew that they were actually in my hands. And so that was fun. Um, unfortunately, because it all happened sort of in the beginning of the Christmas rush and everything, some people's books didn't arrive until after I had sent out the newsie telling people that I would soon be making them available for anybody who wanted a copy. And I needed to set up a system in order to get those types of orders processed. So I, I said, well, go ahead and, and send me an email and I'll get you on the list of who I'll contact when 
I have all that information. And so some people who I already sent books to were emailing me going, oh, I really want to get a copy. Tell me how to get it. And I was just like, oh, what do I do? Do I like tell them or do I ruin the surprise or what do I do? So, um, so in some cases, I actually had to ruin the surprise because I was worried like maybe it went to the wrong address because I didn't even confirm with people that I had their right addresses. <laughs> and then sometimes I do like people will move, but they won't update the information. And so it has happened that I've sent them to the wrong address. And so I was, but I was like, okay, fine. If they haven't gotten them yet, I should probably say something. <laughs> but yeah, so it was really fun to start getting all those reactions back and, and people were super excited and happy to have them. I'm just happy to have the project done. And I think it turned out really, really good. And um, that was like, oh, I've only had that on my to-do list for five years. Check. <laughs> so. Yeah, and, and kudos to Carl because the, the interior of the book is, is amazing. So uh, the work that he did in, in getting it to look like the other books uh, was, was, really, was really well done. And uh, appreciated by those of us who have the books. And yeah, it was, I, I feel badly for the people who had the surprise ruined for them because it was such a treat to open it up and see it. What was it like when you got them? Because I know you've, you've been in a position to have the publisher ship you a bunch of books and you open the books and there they are. Yay. Yay me. Uh, there's a lot of books. But this one, um, you actually had an active role in physically building. Yeah. So it meant I was a lot more critical of what they look like. When <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> and there's things like when those first copies came in, there were things that I was like, okay, you know, I would have done this a little differently. I would have preferred this. You know, I was particularly a little, not 100% pleased with the, the spacing on the back of the cover, the back cover. I would have wanted some more margin and stuff. But every time you make a change, you've got to re-upload the, the new one, the new versions, then they have to approve them. And so it's a, there's a wait time involved. And then, you, and then you, you, know, you go through the process of getting them ordered again. And, and we're getting so close to Christmas. And I was just like, I'm not going to risk it. I don't care. These things are small. They're minor. Maybe nobody's going to notice them but me and graphic designers or something. And so I was just like, hit print go print and so i ordered a considerable amount well it felt considerable it's not really considerable in it felt considerable of... when you put your credit card in <laughs> exactly that's what it felt because these books are not cheap you know you they're not um and because they're hardback you know and hardback books it, the it doesn't matter how big it is like how many pages is in between the covers is only a small part of the price, you know, you're paying for the, for the cover, the jacket printing and the, the actual physical hard binding that it's in. And so even though it's a smaller book, it was not a cheaper book to produce, but it's, it's a labor of love. Like I didn't do it to make money off of it. I did it to, to give, to make it available. I mean, I'm not, I've given away a lot of the copies because they are to people who've given so much to me over these last few years, but even the copies that I'm making available for a price are still not like, I'm not doing it to make money. I'm just doing it to recoup the costs of, of what went into it. So, yeah. All right. Well, that, that was, uh, it was great to get it. It's great to finally see this off your to-do list. Um, I don't, do you have any kind of like a celebration or something when you have this long-term thing on your, on your to-do list and you 
check it off, or is it just you slump down in your chair with a satisfied smile? Uh, it's more like I slumped down in my chair and go, okay, so now I've got 99 more things to take care of. <laughs> what else can I do to get off my plate? <laughs> I should be a little more celebratory than maybe my subconscious would stop pitching fits every time it needs to do more work because it knows there's a reward at the end. But no, it's just like, all right, that's done. Back to work. Yeah, and I think it's it's it probably is the nature of being a professional writer that when your opportunities to celebrate are spread out so far, if it were me, I, I would have lots of little milestones that I could, you know, send up confetti and stuff and pat myself on the back. I know that is not you. It would be a good strategy, and I probably should do that. So I'm. It, it, if it's not me, well, it's not me, but that doesn't mean that that's a good thing. <laughs> It probably should be a lot more like me. <laughs> now, long-term listeners to the long-time listeners to the show uh, realize that we very often, at the beginning of a year, talk about this process that you go through over the course of the year end and the beginning of a new year. And of course, this has just been an absolutely crazy time. So we didn't do it last week, but I think it's timely because this show will release on January twelfth. I think for a lot of people. Um, where we are now, January 12th, you can, you can look at your, the goals that you set on January 1st and, and go, you know, that those were just not realistic. It's, it's not happening. So it's, it's probably a really good time to talk about, um, you know, looking into the future and the kind of goals that we have. And I know that's sort of going to be our topic for, for this week, not so much goals, but the idea of of really going for a goal. And I, I had a situation, I, I was talking to, to Julie, where a couple years ago, you and I had talked about this goal that I had of running a half marathon uh, a yes. year ago. We talked about it two years ago, and that was my big goal for the year, was to be able to run the, the Naples Daily News half marathon in January of 2020. And that was an easy goal because it was so concrete. And then last year, I came up with these goals that I was talking to Julius, like they were all kind of squishy. I'd like to lose some weight. I'd like to write a little bit more. I'd like to do this. But none of it was like, on this date, I want to run this race. And I accomplished none of those goals. Well, I think you can be a little bit forgiven for that, seeing as how 2020 was like, the year of the bust, like <laughs> if, if you just picture a mushroom cloud, that was pretty much everybody's goals and plans for 2020 because, you know, nobody expects the pandemic or the Spanish Inquisition or whatever. So, you know, eh, 2020, you kind of get a little bit of a pass there. You're giving me a pass. OK, I give right, the good. whole world a pass. All right. So this week's topic is sort of comes from an email that you got in response to an email that you sent out to people on your email list. It, this is this is part of an email sequence, so not everybody gets it at the same time. But for longtime readers or longtime subscribers to your list, they've probably seen it. I remember this particular email that's going out. So um, you want to talk a little bit about the email that that went out to to this particular subscriber and what his reaction was. Yes. So um, we, like Steve says, not everybody gets the emails at the same time. Um, So the reactions come in at different times and not every email that I write gets a response. But this one in particular does get quite a few responses. 
And the email itself is called The Fear Factor. And I'm actually going to read it because um, not everybody who's a listener will have either gotten it already or will ever get it. Um, But the reason that I wanted to talk about this today is because it's so perfectly timed. You know, we're, we're going into a new year. And for a lot of us, especially those of us who saw our goals and our dreams just kind of go belly up last year, even though nothing's really changed from one day to the next, it's, it's mentally, it's like a reset. It's like, all right, it's a new start. Let's, let's get with this. And so there's so much of this conversation that, that follows this idea of, you know, goals and dreams and stuff. And um, when I wrote the initial email, it was only part of the conversation. And, and this response that I got and the conversation that flowed from it, I felt just was so much more. And it, and it took the conversation in a direction that it needs to go. And instead of me just rambling here, I'm just going to go ahead and read it because that will, um, it will avoid me repeating myself in a reinvent the wheel sort of way. So here's the original email, which said, this, the fear factor. So here's a question for you. If you believed you couldn't fail, if you believed that all you had to do in order to obtain a goal or a dream or a want was to reach for it, what thing would you set out to accomplish that you haven't yet? It's a hypothetical question, I guess, but not really. I I got to thinking about this after a book event in which after discussing my background and limited education and lack of socialization and the general crappy way I was raised, someone in the audience asked, but what even gave you the idea that you were capable of writing a book? What even let you believe you could do it? And the question truly befuddled me. It still befuddles me. I do not comprehend the question. My only answer is I wanted to do it so I knew I could. Needless to say, I've thought about this a lot since then and have come to realize that somehow, along with everything else that I missed out on in that crappy childhood, I also missed out acquiring the fear of failure, or maybe it's the fear of failure was never enough reason not to do something. Don't get me wrong. I have a lot of fears and some who love me might whisper behind my back that I'm even a tad touch neurotic at times. But the one fear I don't have is that of throwing everything I have into something and then having it blow up in my face. Uh, I'm not, I have to pause here and explain. I'm not afraid that it won't blow up in my face. I'm afraid, I'm not afraid of it blowing up in my face. I'm not afraid of rejection. I'm willing to risk humiliation. I'm willing to try and fail and fall and then get up and keep going. I'm not afraid to hurt. I don't like it. Actually, I hate it, but I'm not afraid of it. And because I'm not afraid, the dynamics, my behaviors may be a little different than what I assume most people go through. I set out to write a book because I wanted to do it. The concept of not being able to never crossed my mind. And I figured if I failed, so what? I'd try something else. I don't get a lot of credit for this. It wasn't a conscious development, but rather a byproduct, a survival mechanism, if you will, of that same crappy hot childhood of having to be an adult and figure things out from a very, very young age. As I've heard it put brilliantly, fear is just fantasy engaging as reality. I know, at least for myself, that if I give in to fear, and I do have many fears, I allow a horrible fantasy to become my reality, and I react to that fantasy as if it's true. And as such, Giving into fear has the potential to rob me of the best life has to offer, which all leads me back to my original question. If you believed you couldn't fail, what would you do differently? What would you set out to accomplish? So that was the email. 
And an interesting thing about that email is that, like I said earlier, it's one of the few that receives fairly frequent replies. And I find it fascinating how differently each person interprets the words. To some people who respond, it they're responding as if I had accused them of something. And to others, they're responding as if that was one of those feel good, if you believe it, you will manifest it type emails, which, I mean, I guess that reaction is positive or negative, depending on their take on that type of thinking. And to other people, it's a way forward. It's, it's, a, it's a form of hope. And for me personally, um, when I was writing it, it was a way of tilting reality to see it from a different perspective, um, a thought experiment to help figure out what was really stopping me or anyone from doing something that they really wanted to do and sort of figure out the difference between if it was a wish or a dream. So in my own life, fear of failure isn't really that much of an obstacle to, to doing something that I want to do. But money, time, circumstances, obligations, those things are all obstacles for me. And so sometimes I'll use the same concept with like, say, a lack of money to figure out if a thing is something I really want. Like, is this something I'd pursue if I had all the money I needed to do it or if money was no object? Or is this more just like a nice thought and a daydream and money isn't really the thing that's holding me back? So, for example, um, let's use travel, right? So I've spent most of my life, well, the first half of my life traveling I am a world-hardened, gone, just go and do it, figure it out when you get there type person. Like That's how I did everything in Africa was just figure it out as you go and, um, you know, just land in a country and, you know, find a place to stay. And I've got some crazy stories I could tell you about that in Equatorial Guinea. Um, anyway, it, now I, I just don't travel as much, right? And so I'll see foreign locations, places I haven't been yet in shows or movies, and I, I'll experience this inner sigh, like almost like a homesickness for travel. But the one of the main reasons I haven't traveled much at all these last few years, not even for research, which is really a legitimate need beyond just, you know, hey, I'd like to do this, is that finances have been really tight. So I could do this thought experiment, right? And I can remove money as an issue. If money was no object, if I had all the money that I needed, would I just pick up and go? And once I remove money from the equation, I find out that there's a whole, a whole array <laughs> of other logistical and practical reasons that are involved as well. I'm going to need to figure out who's going to take care of all my animals. I'm just ugh, at having to figure out how to travel schedules and accommodations. And God, I hate flying. I mean, all the crap you go through with security and blah, blah, blah. So when I think to myself, well, if money's not an issue, where would I go? I just kind of feel this reluctance like, ah, OK, I have the money, but I don't really want to go that bad. And so, you know, as it turns out, money isn't the true thing that's holding me back from traveling. It's a real thing for sure, but it's not the thing. So then I think to myself, well, what if someone could wave a magic wand and everything would be taken care of? The animals would be fine. The logistics would be super easy. There'd be no stress. Then what? And then I perk up and I'm like, oh, yeah, OK, let's go do this. And so it zeroes me in on what the real issue is. And if it's something that I really genuinely want to do, something that's beyond a wish, well, then I have a map to what needs to be done 
for me to make that thing happen. And that's where I was in my head on the subject of fear of failure when I wrote that email. Sometimes it's fear of failure that holds people back. Sometimes fear of failure is only a small part, but by removing the failure part of the equation entirely, you can look at your life, your wants, and your dreams from a different perspective, and that kind of helps you figure out what truly matters to you and what doesn't. And the problem, though, with these types of thought experiments, especially when we talk about fear of failure, is that it's really easy to conflate going all out in a pursuit of a dream with being successful in that pursuit. And those two things are not the same. They're not even close. And I was reminded of that when I received this response that we were talking about um, to that fear factor email. And it, it just took the conversation in, just it took it further, so much further. And I just felt like there was a lot of value in that exchange, especially as it pertains to writing and publishing. And so I'm gonna share it here now with permission with some edits to maintain anonymity. And so in response to the question, if you believed you couldn't fail, what would you do differently? What would you set out to accomplish? Our anonymous author wrote this. Interesting question. My response would be another question. What if you went for that goal or dream all in and then it didn't work out? What then? In my case, I decided in 2015 to pursue my childhood dream of being a writer, and I went the indie route. I went for it full tilt. I studied everything I could find from the business to the craft and actually put the advice into practice. I wrote and published several short stories on KDP and some novels over the course of the last five years. I went through lots of emotional ups and downs from feeling giddy with excitement at finally pursuing my dreams to feeling frustration and deep disappointment at getting literally only a handful of sales after all that hard work. Finally, in 2020, I decided to throw in the towel. I have been in a state of stagnation fueled by disappointment. Long gone are the dreams of one day earning a living from my writing. Now, even a side income or even pocket change doesn't seem like a possibility. In fact, it seems like I have turned into one of those writers everyone talks about who writes but who can't sell any books, thus basically having an expensive hobby. My day job is what pays for the cover art, formatting, etc. Not exactly where I wanted to end up, but it is what it is. So I guess the long-winded answer is I dreamed it. I went for it. And there's really no way to sugarcoat this. I failed. So what do you do? after you gave it your shot, really went for it, pursued your childhood dreams, and it didn't work out. Well, after five years of trying, you could keep going in the hopes that it might eventually work, or you could move on to something else. As they say, the bills won't pay themselves. It's tough to let it go, though. When you've had this idea in your head ever since you were a kid that one day you'd be this great author like Conan Doyle or Agatha Christie or Asimov. So that's pretty much the bulk. That's that's the the email that I got. I mean, there's this the greetings and the salutations and all that. I'm skipping. So there's so much to say about this. There's so much I want to discuss. But rather than try and reinvent the wheel, I'm just going to read the response that I sent back. And again, this is slightly edited to preserve anonymity. Thank you for your email. I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate you sharing your experience with me. You ask such good, thoughtful questions. And honestly, I wish I could share and respond to your email publicly for others to benefit as well, because I think your experience and the questions they raise speak to so many people's experience and give rise to an important part of the broader conversation. I relate to your sense of failure far better than you might imagine. I'm not sure how much of my 
most recent story you're aware of. I share information on multiple platforms, formats, and not everyone accesses it all or even at the same time. So it's impossible to even guess what any one person knows or doesn't know. The very, very, very short version is the publishing industry I went into is a completely different creature than the industry that exists now. And my own journey through it hasn't been a straight line. My first series was canceled by the publisher. My second series is still out there, but I've been struggling personally, and those personal struggles may end up killing it. I have no book contract. I'm in a state of limbo. Don't know if I'll ever finish writing another book, much less if I'll find a publisher for it if I do, and don't have a day job to pay the bills. The vast majority of my income currently comes from patronage at Patreon, and Lord only knows how or why these amazing men and women have continued to be as patient with my slow progress as they've been. By no means am I attempting to say our two experiences are the same, only that I'm inordinately and painfully familiar with that sense of tried and failed. And my thoughts on the subject come from a place of empathy and not some detached, let me give you my wisdom from Mount Olympus, perfect non-struggling life. With that in mind, the first thing I would say is how huge it is that you acted on your dream and gave everything you had toward bringing it into reality. To be able to get to the end of your life without having to look back with regret, wondering what might have been if only you'd tried, is a gift to yourself and its own reward. There's no failure in that, regardless of if you achieve the dream or not. And I think that's a point easily forgotten in the fight to reach the dream. The biggest gripe I have with just about every this person held on past rejection and failure and went on to achieve greatness story in existence is the silent lie told with it that if you strive to achieve a dream, refuse to give in to failure and push yourself past the breaking point that you too will achieve success. The truth is more nuanced. If they hadn't striven and refused to quit and pushed past the breaking point, they never would have achieved success. But for every person who achieved success, there are a hundred, maybe a thousand more who did all the same things and still failed. We just don't tell their stories. And so refusing to allow fear to hold you back isn't a guarantee you won't fail. It's a guarantee you won't fail by default. It's similar to how some people are so afraid of being told no or being rejected that they won't even ask for something they want. But the thing is, being told no and being rejected is the default for not asking. In other words, the worst thing that can happen if you ask and are told no and rejected is that you're in the exact same position you were in if you had never asked. And the very act of asking in and of itself is all it takes to increase your odds of getting what you want. But some people are so afraid of the no or the rejection, red failure, that they'd rather just accept the default without ever even trying to get what they want. And so it goes with striving to achieve a dream. And this is even more pronounced in publishing, which like acting, like music, like any form of art is a brutal industry in which there's an endless stream of new supply, endless shelf life on existing product and shrinking demand. Very few relative to those who attempt ever succeed at supporting themselves through writing alone. You've written and published books for five years and not seen a lot to show for it financially, but given the environment, have you really failed? You asked, so what do you do after you gave it your shot, really went for it, pursued your childhood dreams and it didn't work out? Well, after five years of trying, you could keep going in the hopes that it might eventually work or you could move on to something else. As they say, the bills won't pay themselves. It's tough to let it go, though, when you've had this idea in your head ever since you were a kid that one day you'd be a great writer like Conan Doyle or Agatha Christie or Asimov. I agree. It is tough to let it go. But which part is that? The part about earning a living from your writing or the part about writing like Conan Doyle, Agatha Christie and Asimov? 
If your dream has truly been to be a writer, then write. Write for the love of words. Write for the love of the story. Write because it's something that brings you joy. Write because through writing you discover yourself and discover the world. Write because you have something to say, even if nobody else hears you say it. But if your dream was merely to earn a living as a writer, well, it's really difficult to pursue financially based especially when there are so many other easier and far less depressing ways to earn far better money, especially in an industry where not earning a living is the default. Letting it go doesn't mean you failed. The only way you could have failed would have been to never have tried at all. Letting it go doesn't mean you have to stop writing. It just means you stop caring if you achieve some sort of status to go along with the writing. And if status as a writer is what your dream was really all about, Well, your only choices are to stop before you drive yourself mad or to keep slugging it out and hope for lightning to strike somewhere along the way. Because as much as the successful would like to believe and would like you to believe that success in this industry is a matter of merit, it's not. You'll never achieve it without doing the things to get it. But all you guarantee by doing the things is an open-ended struggle in which you don't lose by default. With love, me. So... I did receive a reply back, and I wasn't planning to share it initially. And there are nice things said to me throughout, and I worried that it might come across as sort of a gratuitous, humble bragging or something similar. But I went back and I read it again, and I realized that the reflections that are offered in response are helpful in and of themselves as they they speak specifically to the struggles with writing and the publishing industry in a very tangible and relatable way through one person's experience. And so I'm going to close it out with these words from our anonymous author. Thank you so much for your reply to my email. I have read it multiple times. In the last five years of my writing journey, I don't think I've ever received such honest, real, and caring feedback. Thank you. There was more wisdom, clarity, and guidance in your one email than entire courses that are out there. I appreciate you sharing the details of your story. I read a little bit about your background growing up. The challenges you faced were far greater than what most people have to endure. I think your distinctions on the writing journey are spot on, and you're absolutely right about publishing. It is a brutal brutal industry. I realize now, after having taken this break from writing, that I had kind of worked myself up into a sort of frenzy. I'd gotten so caught up in the right to market, write every day, thousand words a day, crank out a story a week, etc. mantras, that somewhere along the way, I had lost my original love for writing. It had turned into something like a dreary chore, and that was not a good feeling at all. The childlike wonder and love for storytelling had dried up. It was no longer magical as it had once been. Another distinction that you made regarding the financial aspect was also very enlightening. Intellectually, I knew this before, but maybe the time was not right for me to grasp it, or perhaps it's the way you explained it, but something clicked, and now I can actually see that these are two very different things. Somewhere along the way, the idea of writing for a living was planted in my head. And since then, I've measured my success in financial terms. I mean, if I'm any good at writing, people should be willing to pay me for it, right? That was my yardstick. I had made the classic mistake and not even realized it. You made me see that my criteria for measuring my success was taking the joy out of my writing and my creativity was suffering for it. Now that I have this distinction and I can actually feel it, I know it's real as opposed to an intellectual understanding, but not really believing it. I can separate these two unrelated aspects of life. I can still strive for financial success in other areas of my life, my day job, career, other side business projects unrelated to writing. And at the same time, I can write for the real reason I wanted to write, to be a writer, 
for the artistic expression as an outlet for my creativity to entertain and inspire and educate and for the sheer love of it. I know I'm a good writer. I know that readers are moved by my words. I know I can do good in the world with my writing. I just need to free myself from the financial expectations I had attached to my writing, which frankly was my own doing. Now I am free to create that which is bursting to come out of me without the constraints of right to market or having to worry about all those other things. I can write the story I was meant to tell for the reason I want to tell it. What an amazing unlearning of all the stuff I have learned thus far. I am very grateful. Thank you so much for being genuine and sharing honestly and truthfully. If you feel that your email could help other writers to benefit, I think it definitely could, please feel free to post it publicly. I would request that my name and personal information be removed for privacy reasons. So <clears throat> that was the exchange. And reading this final response, I could relate so much to what he was saying, especially when it was, I mean, if I am any good at writing, people should be willing to pay me for it, right? And this is something I struggle with too um, in the... In the industry, like, obviously, I've been paid well at times for the work that I do, but I very much still struggle with um, equating my value as an author and what I contribute in words to how many people are buying copies. So when I hear from um, fans who are real, I mean, like, there's fans and then there's like, hardcore fans. <laughs> Often I'll hear from the hardcore fans and they'll be like, you are without a doubt the best author I have read in decades. And they'll go on about the things in my writing that they have found that speak to them and what they love about it. And I appreciate what they're saying. And of course I need those cookies and the eco boost, but there's this whole other half of me that's sitting there going, yeah, but if that was true, then I would have been selling enough copies that my series wouldn't have been canceled. Yeah, but if that was true, blah, 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 blah. And so there's a whole half of me that completely rejects the compliments. It cannot accept the praise, cannot see myself as being all that great at what I do because where are the numbers to show it, right? So, and, and, I, and that is completely relative because my numbers oh my God, they're amazing compared to what, you know, so many other people would envy, but it's relative to where you are. It's like, why aren't more people reading it? Why have, why this, why that? So I, even though my situation is different than this, it's still the, the inner struggle that we go through as, as humans is, is so similar because in the end, we all still deal with that self-doubt and the, the desire to value ourselves, to show that we have value by other people are willing to, can, to, to prove it with their money or whatever, right? So it's an ongoing struggle. And I just felt that this is a really good uh, experience, a really good thought experience, experiment, a really good way of reflecting as we start the new year. And a lot of us are going to be starting um, either continuing on projects we already have or starting new projects or setting new goals to to keep all of this in mind as we do it of, of ultimate what matters to us, ultimately what is it that we are valued for, what writing means to us, what our true emotional needs are, and so forth. And so that is all I have on that. That was really something. That was really 
interesting. I loved the way he took uh, your email, and and the, his response was 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 really. I don't know. It was it? It was real. It was authentic yeah, and human. Yeah, and it was real. And, and also, also the pain of what he, what he's going through, and. Taylor, as you know, and and some of our other listeners know, I started a podcast called The Author Biz years ago. And uh, I actually had to go back because if you go to the homepage for theauthorbiz.com, there is a, um, it, all we have are the archives because I haven't done a show for a couple of years now. Um, but it started in, I think, June of 2014. And over the course, between 2014 and 2018, I did basically an episode a week all about the business of essentially uh, writing, whether it be traditional publishing or indie writing, but most of my listeners were indie authors. So I, I, I started slanting things towards indie writers. And there is so much information out there, and there, is, there are so many tricks um, that get people off the course that they started on it's like I'm going to – people have a goal to do this. I want to write this kind of book, and I want to make money doing it. And then they see something like write to market. And all of a sudden, you're veering off into this other area that you may have no experience with, and it's all about writing to market. So I'm going to write, 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 and write to market, and that's going to make me successful. And then you see uh, somebody who's really doing well by focusing on Facebook ads. So you veer off in, in a completely different direction. You take courses about doing Facebook ads. You read books on doing Facebook ads. And you get really good at, at doing Facebook ads. And then you see, oh, that really doesn't work all that well either. Um, so then it's the next thing. And, and you're just pinballing back and forth as opposed to... Here's what I want to do, and I'm going to keep at it. Um, and it sounds like he 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 did some of that, you know, when he used the term "right to market" and you know the whole thing of writing a short story a week. That was a thing for a little while, um, and you know, people writing in episodes was a thing for a little while. There are all of these things where someone who strikes lightning in a bottle, you know, writes a story that really engages with people and engages the Amazon algorithms to allow them to sell a lot of books, does something, and then talks about it. And a large group of people say, I'm going to go and do the same thing that person did. And for some of them, it will work, and then it becomes a thing. This is what you have to do to be successful. And it's it, it it is the path to madness <laughs> to a certain extent, trying to chase all of those different things in an effort to achieve your dream. You get so far off track, and I think he expressed that a little bit in his email back to you that he was so far away from what what he was what he intended to do, and now he's he's kind of back to it. So kudos to you for for getting him back to it. I am really curious. I don't know if this guy listens to the show or not, but if he does, um, I would love to know more about this, and I would love to uh, take a look at what he's done um, on the off chance that I have some opinions for it because I do have a little bit of knowledge about this stuff. And so if you are listening, anonymous author out there, and you're interested 
an opinion uh, about the way you're going about the business of, of uh, publishing your books, I would, I would love to take a look at it. If not, um, totally cool. Send an email to Taylor and she can forward it to me if, if you're interested. <clears throat> That's very generous of you, Steve. And um, that is not an open-ended invitation to all of our listeners, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it is not. <laughs> but, you know... Those who submit content, they get priority. So hint, hint, you guys. Um, and I do need more content to to line up as we move forward because I my well is still pretty dry here on my own. But um, anyway, anything else? No, that is it. But this this was a great, um, I, I think, a, a, just a great reminder for all of us that no matter what our no matter what our goals are, um, you really kind of have to keep them in mind and. Um, it's it's really easy to get pulled in d- in directions that you don't mean to go in in pursuit of of your goals. If you don't keep what you really want to do in mind while you're going through it, it's it's easy to if you know if you're you're two degrees off track every every two or three months, all of a sudden you wind up in a completely different direction. Yeah, or going in a completely so different direction. But I love, I remember the email that you said. I remember the fear email. I was in the category of people that found it inspiring. I think it is a great, um, I, I think it is a great thought exercise. And I agree with you that uh, the fact that what this, what this anonymous author has done, you know, just doing this for five years and cons- consistently pitching his work, it's hard, as I certainly know, to, to put your work out there. I mean, it's hard to do it as a podcaster. It's hard to do it when you're writing. It's hard to do it as a business person, because every time you do, um, you can be judged, and you will be yeah. judged. And that's, so that's, that's uh, a challenge. And just being willing to do that and put yourself out there is an amazing accomplishment. And to have written books and to have written short stories and published them, you're way ahead of most people. Yep, it is a gift to yourself. So that, I believe, is it. And we will be back again with you next week. So come on and see us again. Hear us again. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.